Welcome to the 171st episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at college football, our weekly look at Major League Baseball, and our weekly look at NFL. With that full schedule, let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Starting in Major League Baseball, where Patrick went 3-1 and one with his weekend series predictions. Moving on to college football, Patrick went 4-0 in his NCAA football predictions for the weekend. And in the NFL, Patrick went 2-2 two two in his NFL predictions, which means Patrick went 9-3 combined last weekend, bringing him to a 470 and 325 overall record, a 59.1% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I thought I had a uh, pretty good week this week. Obviously, that's evidenced by the record. You know, the NFL definitely could have gone better, but uh, really kind of the Raiders fault, honestly, for choking that game away against the Cardinals. And uh, I thought that, you know, the Dolphins Ravens game was crazy. It was back and forth. So I can take that loss there and I can handle that. But uh, I feel like I still could have gone three and one pretty easily there. So uh, I'd rather be 10 and two overall, but nine and three is still a good, good overall record. So I'll take it. Obviously in college football, 4-0 is literally as good as it gets, quite literally. Um, so that was obviously good. And then in college and then in MLB, I went three and one, which is also good. All right. Patrick, your uh, predictions for next weekend, as always, will be posted on our website on Thursdays, fourth and twenty-four.com. And as we have a pack schedule, let's move on quickly on to our look back at week three action in NCAA football. Patrick, what do you have as the best games of week three in college football? Well, I will start with Liberty and Wake Forest. Number 19, Wake Forest beat Liberty 37 to 36. Uh, this game came down to Liberty going for two and missing it at the end. It was really a close, close, entertaining game. Um, and, you know, it's just one that you would want to watch. And uh, surprising that Wake Forest uh, really had to fight and struggle for this game, honestly. Um, I don't really believe in them being this high up in the top 20 and now is starting to feel a little bit like last year where they're already feeling a little overrated to me. Um, but at the same time, last year, they were already at like 14 or 13 by this time of the year, I feel like. So maybe not. Uh, but I really feel like they should kind of stay in this the fringe top 20 range, not any higher. This team, I don't think, is capable of beating most of the 15 or so teams in the top 15 to 20. I don't think they're capable of being more than three or four of them. Um, so I think for now they're accurately rated, but if they continue to rise, even after this type of a performance, I don't really think that's warranted. Uh, then you had number 18, Florida, who beat South Florida 31 to 28. They, despite playing three home games, have a negative point differential overall. Uh, so Florida really squeaking by, and maybe, maybe, I mean, I'll admit this myself, maybe they wouldn't be ranked at all if they if they weren't Florida, I mean, we look at App State, they're still not ranked after beating A&M. That, that could be argued as, I mean, I think Utah's better than A&M, but they did start the season around the same pay, uh, around the same place in the rankings, and App State was able to beat A&M on the road, whereas Florida was able to beat Utah at home, so an easier venue to win in. So, you know, if you look at those parallels, you could make the argument that, take the teams away, App State probably should be ranked higher in terms of um, just the merits alone, but that's not really how it's ranked. And Florida also had a higher starting point and also upstate did that have that loss to North Carolina, which kind of takes away from their case for that too. But at the same time, 
if you're Florida and you're ranked, it doesn't feel like in the conversation with App State is really where you want to be. Um, and I just I don't see this team uh, going too far in the SEC. I think Georgia will give them their second loss of the year if they don't already have it uh, by the time they play them. I don't know who else they play in between that game after it or before it, uh, but they will definitely be having more losses by the time of that the end of the season rolls around. Yeah, I agree with you. College football rankings, a lot are dealing perception, name, brand, and what you did last year. And some of these teams, there, the schedule will shake them out, particularly Florida and the SEC. All right, let's move over to the uh, upsets from last weekend. I will start with Kansas beating Houston on the road. They won 48-30 to 30, uh, to improve to 3-0, and and now it seems odd because you're looking at a 3-0 and team that beat a 1-2 and team, and I'm calling it an upset. But uh, props to Houston for challenging themselves with the schedule that they put out this year uh, out of conference, kind of going Cincinnati route, trying to get big name, not necessarily big name programs, but big conferences and opponents in them to play them for the chance at maybe getting into the playoff. If some of those teams have good seasons, obviously Houston played Texas Tech and although they lost that game, they still tried to schedule a good team. And then obviously Kansas comes into Houston and gets that win on the road. Obviously, this could be in best road wins too, but I figured much more suited for upsets here. Maybe Kansas should be ranked. I mean, this is something, they're a team that I considered for my rankings, probably had them at like 26. I mean, you could make the argument that Kansas uh, has a better resume overall than a team like Michigan State, than a team like A&M, than a team like Miami, who are kind of, all those teams who are kind of sitting at the bottom of the rankings make the argument they have a better resume than Wake Forest because this win on the road probably holds a lot more weight than Vanderbilt uh the then sorry than the Vanderbilt win that Wake Forest has so uh I think you could go a few ways with this but really the big deal is that Kansas was already I think their win over under was two and a half and they're already at three so uh over betters on Kansas are very very happy right now and if it wasn't if it was three and a half then they still should be pretty happy because it's it's pretty unlikely for a team to go 0-9 through the rest of the season after having this good of a start because I honestly think beating Houston on the road is harder than a few Big 12 games that they're going to encounter this year. Uh, so good start for Kansas. Maybe they can keep it going. Your other upset from the weekend? I had Eastern Michigan over Arizona State. They won 30-21. to uh, I was going to make the comment that this is the type of game that would get your coach fired and, well, can't make the comment because it's actually just true. Herm Edwards was fired after this loss. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm actually looking at some of the parallels in this situation where I'm not looking at Arizona State. They were supposed to have kind of a down season. It's very clearly proving to be a, a, an even bigger down season than we already thought they were going to have. But not only just that, think about Oklahoma State. They squeaked out a win against Arizona State at home. They were really close in that game the whole time. They, they let Central Michigan back into the game against them, too. So I'm looking at Oklahoma State as kind of a parallel outcome of this, and I'm saying they struggled to beat the same team that Eastern Michigan was able to go on the road and beat. So how good does that make Oklahoma State look? And the answer is not very good. Um, but we know what they have from last year. They were, what, a yard away from winning the Big 12? Um, so Well, really more like an, a few inches, honestly. Uh, but... They still have that pedigree from last year and returning a quarterback and returning a good amount of their defense that was pretty solid last year. So that's the foundation they have to stand on. But at the same time, there's definitely some troubling signs for them. 
Yeah, Oklahoma State may be in that boat with that Florida team. We'll, we'll find out as we head into conference play. All right, let's move to some teams uh, that didn't get upset. Well, they may have been involved in upsets. Who were your most impressive teams from last week? Well, I picked Washington as one of these teams. They went 30, they won 39 to 28 against number 11, Michigan State. I think Washington was favored in this game, though, so I won't really call it an upset. And if they weren't favored, I think Michigan State might have been favored by two, two and a half. I'm pretty sure the line was at two and a half. Um, but Washington just looked good. I mean, I, I predicted them, well, in my preseason predictions, I think I did pick Michigan State to win this game. But by the time it had gotten around to this week, watched enough of Michigan State. I'd seen what Washington had done vaguely from afar, not really watching intently on their games, but just looking at some of the stats in those games and how Michael Penix had been playing and his history of, for some reason, being very good exclusively against Michigan State, which might have something to do with their awful pass defense in general over the last few years. Um, but look, because of that, I switched my little preseason expectation and I picked Washington instead to win this game. Um, and obviously we know I ended up being right. Um, but look, Washington looked good. I mean, they looked like they deserved to be at least a ranked team. I mean, I don't think that Michigan State was necessarily the caliber of a normal team that's knocking on the door of the top 10. I really don't see them as being that good. Uh, but they're still certainly a quality team and Washington getting a win over them proves that they should at least be in the rankings. They're definitely uh, deserve that that qualification there. So uh, Washington definitely should be ranked. They are ranked. Uh, the, the coaches poll has them ranked under Michigan state, which is awful because they, I mean, Michigan state made this closer because they outscored Washington 14 to three in the fourth quarter, but this game was over a lot before the fourth quarter. I mean, this game was over when it was 29 to eight at the half. Uh, so I, I don't know how anybody could still rank Michigan state ahead of Washington at this point. So, uh, the coaches poll did a bad job there. Um, but the coaches poll also gave Texas a number one vote at the beginning of the season. So there's some bit they might have to uh, look into that a little bit. I'm glad that the coaches poll does not decide anything um, in regards to the playoff or bowl games at all, uh, but still can change that perception for weird reasons, uh, at least the national perception. But then I'll move on. NC State number 16 beat Texas Tech 27 to 14. This Texas Tech team is actually a good team. They are able to take down Houston in double overtime, although that win is seeming like it's less important after Kansas has beaten them. But now you're just kind of looking at the Big 12 and looking at the overall strength. It's very hard to gauge this early in the season when none of them have really played each other and played big-name teams that much. Um, but we were looking for NC State after that struggling performance against Eastern Carolina where they barely, or East Carolina, where they barely uh, kind of snuck out that win. People were looking for them to kind of, you know, show show the the championship pedigree, show that you can really knock a team out when they're actually good. You don't just stick around and barely win by one and squeak out all your games because at some point that's going to come back to bite you. You're going to make a, a costly error and you're going to lose the game because of it. Um, but this game was an example of them doing that. They won 27 to 14. It was just a clean win. It was exactly what people were looking for. They scored first. They held the lead in the first quarter. They had a 20 to seven lead at the half. And they kept it even for the rest of the game, go, going seven to seven in the in the second half and in the fourth quarter, uh, and ended up winning by thirteen. So I mean, a good result from NC State all around. It's just that solid performance that people were looking for in terms of not really a bounce back, but kind of proving themselves in that regard. Um, and then finally, you have number twenty five Oregon 
who beat BYU 41-20. to This was a big performance for Oregon after kind of the disappointment against Georgia. But all this reaffirms after BYU beating Baylor is that Georgia is just really way better than everybody again. It's another year like that. It really feels like there are only a few teams that can compete with Georgia, and it might be the same teams that we thought could compete with them last year in, in terms of Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan. Um, take Cincinnati out of that group, but I don't think they really would have competed if they played them. And when Michigan played Georgia in the playoff, that game was not close either. Uh, but we'll see if J.J. McCarthy and the Michigan offense can kind of flip that script this year. Well, I mean, if they ever end up playing each other. But for now, it does look like a kind of a repeat of last year where Georgia starts with a lot of hype. But as soon as we get to week two or three, people realize they deserve even more hype than we were already giving them to start the season. Uh, but Oregon... Look, this is a good bounce back performance. It really showed that their offense is very, very effective. It's also interesting because they hired a Georgia's defensive coordinator as a head coach. And yet offensively is where this team looks the most solid at this point. Obviously, Georgia just ran straight over their defense and their offense wasn't very good in that game either. But in this game, I really came away surprised at how uh, impressive the offensive performance was from Oregon. Okay, let's uh, move on to other teams who did well, this being the best road wins. Well, Florida State beat Louisville 35-31. to 31. Uh, This probably wouldn't have made it on here, but for the fact that Jordan Travis was injured in the middle of this game and Florida State had to rely on their backup quarterback to come in and make a few drives and actually score a few times to win this game. And winning a, winning an, winning a conference game on the road especially this early in the season and with a backup quarterback for the second half for most of the second half is very, very challenging. Uh, So I I thought to commend Florida state on this win would be a good idea. And uh, after their close win against LSU, they definitely eked out some of their wins, but at the same time, three, and is three, and they've played some quality opponents have had a harder schedule than most to start the season. So I've slotted them in low in my rankings, but they definitely deserve to be in there somewhere. Uh, and then you have Penn State, number 22, who killed Auburn, 41-12. to 12. Granted, Auburn, I don't think, is that good. I think this game just kind of proved that. Um, Purdue obviously lost to Syracuse, so that Penn State went over Purdue is holding less weight as of right now. There's a lot of parallels that you can draw and look game to game and really be down on Penn State, honestly, after this and just say, this is just Auburn being terrible. But at the same time, that is a very tough environment to go into and win on the road. Um, And it's not like Penn State's not used to big environments. They play in the big house. They play in Columbus. uh, They play at Wisconsin. I mean, they play at Iowa. There are a lot of good environments in the Big Ten. But at the same time, you know, the SEC tells you it just means more. And uh, apparently to Penn State, it it meant more this weekend than it did to Auburn. Because... They came out on fire and they were ready to play in this game. And even after taking that 14 to six halftime lead, they wanted to stretch it out more, obviously put up 13, sorry, 17 in the third quarter um, and extended that lead until it ended up being a 40 spot that they put up on Auburn's defense. Uh, But Auburn is notoriously weak on offense with just kind of an issue at quarterback that hasn't really been solved uh, really since the years after their national championships. So it's kind of, they've kind of had that problem on and off for a while now and uh doesn't look like it's being solved this year with tj finley yeah 41 12 win in any road game but going into a tough sec environment is pretty darn impressive all right uh any other quick takes from uh, college football week three action well 
I left out Miami and A&M because that game wasn't an upset and neither team impressed me. Uh, both of them extremely unimpressive. Miami, the message board geniuses are already calling for Josh Gaddis to go because they don't like his scheme and whatnot. Uh, I don't really know about all that, but I do have to say that A&M has a lack of quarterback play. They just switched quarterbacks in this game because of the fact that their other quarterback could not get it done, couldn't get a drive going against App State. Uh, I mean, what, they got like a kickoff return to like the 50-yard line or something. Um, and then all of a sudden, now they can't, they couldn't get that first down and they lost App State because of it. They, they need they need to figure out their quarterback situation for Texas A&M, but the problem is both of their options aren't very good. Neither of those options are going to beat Alabama, I will just say that. Uh, they will need Bryce Young to pretty much throw away the game or at least have a poor game by his standards and let their defense take over if they want to beat really any team like that. I mean, you could throw Arkansas into that mix too if they play. I believe they do play them. So uh, they're going to have a tough time this season, honestly. This A&M team is not as good as I thought they were going into the season. Um, and the main problem is very obviously quarterback. And Miami, despite having a talented quarterback, they are kind of having that same issue where they just look like an ordinary team. I mean, the way I phrase it is that this looks like an ordinary game rather than two ranked teams. You take the names away. You could present that game to me as Florida State Louisville, as Purdue Syracuse, and then as Miami and A&M. And I would probably pick Miami and A&M as that game, as the last option out of those three that I would think when you attach the rankings to it. Those looked like two unranked teams. Um, as a result, I dropped A&M for my rankings even with that win. Um, or I think I actually had them 25th. I just left them at the same uh, but Miami doesn't deserve to be ranked after all that. I mean, they 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 really had all the opportunities they could to win this game. Um, AM just didn't score like forever. I mean, it was a 17 to 9 game. So they Miami had all the opportunities. They're supposed to be in a, an explosive offense. I think Clemson's defense is better than AM's defense. I think NC State's defense is at least almost on par with AM's, especially because AM had players suspended and out for tar they had two dbs ejected for targeting after already having one of them injured and one of them suspended for off the field stuff and they still couldn't get anything going on that defense so i, I really don't see how miami is supposed to be that explosive if they can't get anything off of that beaten up of a secondary they're gonna have some trouble for the rest of the year um and then the top five look just as good as they have looked every week of the season so far georgia alabama and ohio state continue to look like the best of the best, while Michigan has kind of fought for that consideration in that same group, despite obviously a weak schedule, which makes it a little bit harder to judge where they are in relation to those teams. And then Clemson has just looked like they're kind of floating in their own zone. I don't know why they were ranked ahead of Michigan to start the season, to be quite honest, um, but they are kind of floating in that zone where they have solid enough quarterback play to not be A&M, but they are DJ having a subpar game away from being a clone of Texas A&M, and that is not a good place to be. Uh, meanwhile, I'd actually be more hopeful if I'm Oklahoma and USC, which is also funny because uh, one of them is post-Lincoln-Riley era and one of them is beginning Lincoln-Riley era, but both of them look like they're on the right path. Oklahoma all of a sudden has vastly improved on defense. Gee, I wonder why. And USC has all of a sudden used the talent they have that turn into great NFL receivers, we're talking Michael Pittman, we're talking Drake London, we're talking Juju Smith-Schuster, Robert Woods, et cetera, et cetera. And now instead of just having them be high draft picks, they're actually scoring touchdowns at USC and helping their team win games and be highly ranked for the first time in a very long time. They're actually using that talent properly 
that's Lincoln Riley and his scheme, and he deserves all the credit for that. And Oklahoma, at the same time, deserves all the credit for being able to adapt to having all those players leave their system and yet still coming up with pretty good performances to start the season. So, I mean, you look at those t- those seven teams, I-, I think at this moment, the four playoff teams, uh, there's almost a 95% chance that they come from those seven teams. I mean, I really think you, you have an ACC rep in there, you have a Pac-12 rep, you have Big 12, you and then you have two SEC teams and two Big 10 teams. So you have all the all the conferences in the Power 5 represented, um, and you have two for multiple of the better conferences. And really, those those four are the dominant teams, the two SEC teams and the two Big Ten teams. And, you know, Michigan-Ohio State is looking like it's going to be, again, a, a conversation where winner plays the bad team in the Big Ten West that happens to win that mess of a division, which has no ranked teams now. Um, and all of a sudden, the winner of that Michigan-Ohio State game looks like they pretty much guarantee themselves a playoff spot, uh, just in the same way that Michigan did last year and Ohio State has done plenty of years prior. And Georgia and Alabama might be on the course for a rematch again in the SEC championship game. And then those final two spots just depend on how well Michigan does in the rest of their schedule, how well Georgia or Alabama, whoever loses that game, or same thing with Ohio State, does with their schedule. And then you're looking at either Oklahoma or USC taking the final spots or it being two teams from two conferences. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, But it's a very interesting conversation. Okay, well, that wraps up our look at college football for this week. Let's turn our attention to Major League Baseball, starting, as always, in the American League East. The New York Yankees are 88-58 and 58 on the season. They are five and a half games above the Blue Jays. I see it being hard for them to lose the division at this point. They definitely still can, but a few weeks ago when the Rays had cut it all the way down to four games, that was when it looked the most in doubt. But now we're later in the season, and the deficit is now bigger. So it looks like the Yankees have kind of gotten it together. Stanton came back. Judge has started to carry that team again. And really the other pieces that they needed to step up for so long have kind of grown into their roles and actually started to step up. Oswaldo Cabrera is a big uh, mention there who deserves some praise. And, you know, they've been pitching better recently. And uh, just overall, they've just been playing better. And as a result, they have a five and a half game lead, as I said, over the Blue Jays, who are 83 and 64 in second place. You then have the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 82 and 65, six and a half games back in third. The Orioles, who are 76 and 70 at 12 games back. And the Red Sox at 71 and 75, 17 games back. None of these teams have clinched a playoff spot yet. Not too surprising considering how close the divisional race is and even not only just how close it is, but the fact that I I guess technically if the Orioles still have any shot mathematically at winning the division, which I bet they do because they might have more, both teams might have more than 12 games remaining. Technically, the Yankees could still be eliminated by only AL East teams. It would be very unlikely, but it is still possible. Um, So if that possibility is still on the table, the Yankees can't clinch not only the division, but also a playoff spot overall. Um, Whereas in some other divisions, we've had some division clinching scenarios already go down. Uh, But so far for the AL East, still looking the same in terms of having the Yankees at the top, uh, fighting for really just that overall record and seeding, although it looks like the Astros actually are, have already clinched their bye. I'll talk about that later. But the Yankees are eight games up on Cleveland, who will be the second, the third division winner if the playoffs had started today. Um, so uh, if the Yankees win their division, they're pretty much guaranteed to get that second bye. Um, but yeah, the AL East is looking like it's going to be very important in the wild card. And then obviously the Yankees will slot in at that two seed, most likely. Okay, let's move over to the AL Central. Yep, the interesting race that isn't so interesting because none of the teams are very good. Well, the Cleveland Guardians are at 80 and 67, 
They are four games out of the White Sox. The White Sox have had a strong last few weeks. They've made a push for the playoffs, but the Guardians have responded after a little bit of a lull and not playing well for so long. Uh, they have gone eight and two in their last 10, including taking four of five over the weekend against the Twins. That was a series that I predicted. Uh, the Twins, speaking of them, are 73 and 74, seven games back uh, of the Guardians. They're three games back of the 76 and 71 White Sox. Both teams not really looking towards the wild card anymore. I believe they're more than eight games out. So, or, sorry, the Twins are more than eight games out, while the White Sox are at five and a half out. But we'll talk about that more later. The Royals and the Tigers eliminated at 58 and 89 and 56 and 91. I believe at least the Tigers were eliminated last week. So we will not be talking about eliminated teams anymore uh, at this time because the NFL is on. College football is on. We're, we're, we'll get back into the MLB more once it gets closer to the postseason looking at how teams are, uh, you know, uh, trending in terms of where they might go uh, heading into the postseason. That's when we'll start to focus more on this. But for now, we'll probably be flying through these divisions. All right. Well, then let's fly through the uh, American League West, seeing as how three teams are eliminated. Well, let's talk about those teams. The Angels are 64 and 83. 32 and a half games back, they have been eliminated. I think they were actually eliminated yesterday, which was surprising that they weren't eliminated already. Although, you know, people made the joke that you could have just eliminated them before the season happened, too, and that would have been fine because you still would have been right. Uh, then you have the Rangers, who are 63 and 83, firing their manager didn't work. They're 33 games back. They are also eliminated. And then the A's have been eliminated for a while, so we're not talking about them at all. Meanwhile, Seattle has an important role in the postseason in terms of the wild card, but they're 81 and 65. They're only four and six in their last 10, which has allowed Houston to clinch the division and a first round bye at 97 and 51 a record that is not being talked about enough because this team is a very, very comfortable 100-win team, probably 105 or 106. The reason it's not being talked about is that they have an NL West counterpart who's already at 102 wins, uh, but that's different. To, that, we'll get to that story in a second. Uh, but for now, the Astros, 15 games out of the Mariners, division race over, one of the first teams to clinch. So, well, second team to clinch their division behind the Dodgers, uh, but they will be taking that one seed pretty comfortably, I have a feeling. Okay, well then let's move on and discuss the AL wildcard situation. Well, the Blue Jays are in first now all of a sudden. They really have, they weren't uh, commanding that position for a while, but here they are. They were six and four in their last 10. And while the Rays and the Mariners and the Orioles are four and six in their last 10, the Rays have fallen a game back of the Blue Jays for the one spot in the wildcard, which means they would host that wildcard series. And then the Mariners are in the third wildcard spot, a half a game behind the Rays for second, which would give them... Really, I would honestly say the harder road. I would, I mean, I've said this a thousand times. I would rather play the Guardians uh, than play, I'd rather play the Guardians and then play the Yankees than have to play, if you are if you were the Rays, you'd be playing the Blue Jays and then the Astros. If you're the Blue Jays, you'd be playing the Rays and the Astros. If you're the Mariners slotting in there, you'd play one of those teams and then the Astros. The 4-5 the thing seems like a very bad place to be. And I've talked about this before, but they really should have just copied the NFL's format where the bracket flips based on who wins. Because if the six seed wins, the one seed should get to play the worst team available, not play the four seed when the six seed is still out there. Uh, but that's a different discussion. The Mariners, five games up on the Orioles at 76 and 70, and five and a half games up on the White Sox. Technically, the Twins and the Red Sox are not eliminated yet, but I won't be talking about them anymore. So that is it for the AL wildcard discussion. We'll be tracking those teams, but it looks like it's going to be the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Mariners, especially because the Blue Jays just keep dominating the Orioles when they play each other. 
Uh, maybe the Orioles can get lucky and not have to play the Blue Jays anymore or play the Yankees after they've clinched and they're setting up their rotation. Uh, that would be their only kind of way in there. And then a Mariners slump would have to accompany that. But the Mariners division is so bad that they probably have a lot of free wins left on their schedule. Yeah, it could be an interesting situation where one of those wildcard teams decides to tank to get a better to get a better first round matchup if they're not going to get a home game anyway and maybe set up their pitching rotation. We'll see if tanking for a playoff team becomes a thing in the American League wildcard race. All right, let's move on to the National League, also starting in the East. Well, the Mets were a team that clinched a playoff spot just yesterday. They are 94 and 55, one game ahead of the Atlanta Braves, who are 92 and 55. So winning four games in a row will not make up any ground in this division, unfortunately, if you are the Braves. Losing four in a row, if you were the Philadelphia Phillies uh, at 80 and 66, obviously will not make up any ground, but the Mets have gone seven and three in their last 10. The Braves are six and four in their last 10. The Phillies are five and five in their last 10, despite losing four in a row. They did get swept by the Braves over the weekend. I mean, look, that series did not matter for either of the teams to be quite well. It mattered for the Braves in terms of the fact that they need to try to win this division for very obvious reasons. Uh, but at the same time, the Phillies, they don't, they're not going to catch up for the second wild card spot. Um, so we already knew that was going to happen. But the Mets looking good, uh, still have a chance to clinch the division too. But for now, just a wild card clinch. In the Central, we have the Cardinals, who are eight and a half games ahead of the Brewers. Uh, that division race is not very close anymore. Both teams, six and four in their last 10, looking like the Cardinals are going to clinch it. Brewers turn to the wild card. And then you have the Dodgers, who have clinched uh, a playoff spot but they've now clinched the division as well. They are 102 and 44, 21 and a half games out of the San Diego Padres uh, and the Giants and the Diamondbacks are also still technically not eliminated yet, but all those teams looking towards the wild card. All right, well, let's talk about that wild card situation in the National League. Well, the Braves are 11 and a half games ahead of the Phillies in the third spot after that sweep over the weekend. The Padres have now jumped a half game ahead of the Phillies after the Padres won three in a row against the Diamondbacks over the weekend while the Phillies were getting swept. Then you have the Brewers, who are two and a half games back of the Phillies for that final spot. Now, all of a sudden, the schedule differential, it starts to flip a little bit. The Padres have gone through their tough stretch because they played all their games against the Dodgers. Um, so their overall winning percentage of their opponents remaining isn't actually as horrible as it once was now that they've kind of gotten through that stretch. The Phillies have the Blue Jays. They have to play the Braves again, who are still fighting for that division. So a good team that cares, two good teams that care uh, in the rest of the season. Padres' hardest opponent is pretty much the Cardinals, and uh, Brewers probably same thing within their division. So it, the Brewers are going to have to pick it up. I mean, winning that series against the Yankees was certainly helpful, but then they went on to lose the Sunday game and then lose another game yesterday. So they need to figure it out and figure it out fast. All right, let's move off of Major League Baseball and move to week two in the NFL. Patrick, what were the best games of this past weekend in NFL action? Well, now that we're on Tuesday, I feel like it's almost useless to talk about Thursday night football. But yes, that Chiefs-Chargers game on Thursday was a great game. 27-24, to 24, the Chiefs won, getting me one right prediction in my uh, weekend predictions, which was a pretty good sign for the rest of the week. Uh, then you had the Rams, who almost pulled a reverse Falcons. They went up 28-3 on the Falcons, and the Falcons almost did the opposite of what they did in the Super Bowl, almost completing the comeback rather than having the crazy choke. But of course, it's Atlanta. You knew they weren't going to win the game. So the Rams won 31-27. The 28-3 curse was not reversed. Maybe another time, Atlanta. Sorry for now. Uh, then you have the Dolphins, who beat the Ravens 42-38. to 
Uh, Lamar Jackson and Tua Tagovailoa were probably the two best quarterbacks this weekend, other than Josh Allen, which I think is the phrase that I'm going to be repeating like the whole season is everybody's the best except for Josh Allen because he just seems to be better than everybody else seemingly every single week. Um, and both those teams obviously put up a bunch of points. Two had six total touchdowns. I believe Lamar had four or five. Uh, but just a great game played by both offenses. The Ravens really choked this game away, obviously, giving up 28 points in the fourth quarter and only matching uh, the Dolphins 28 with three of their own. So uh, started up 35 to 14 in the fourth, ended up losing 42 to 38. Not a good result if you're the Ravens. Flex very poorly, especially on their defense. Uh, then you have the Cardinals, who won in overtime 29 to 23 over the Raiders. They outscored the Raiders 22 to nothing in the fourth quarter and overtime. The Raiders had a 20 to nothing halftime lead, had a 23 to seven lead going into the fourth quarter, but were not able to close that game out. Uh, obviously, the Cardinals scored and went for two on two separate touchdowns in the fourth quarter to actually send that game to overtime and then got a fumble recovery on a Hunter Renfro fumble after an overturned Hunter Renfro fumble uh, to win that game. So the, the Raiders just choked this game away. I mean, I'm very mad that they lost their game uh, for my prediction's sake, but they just choked the game away. Yep, some uh, pretty crazy games last week, historically crazy games in week two. All right, let's move over to the most impressive teams. Well, I'm most impressed with the Bills. They absolutely demolished the Titans. Do I need to say more? Probably not. You all watch the game. I mean, that this team just, talk about Super Bowl favorites being rightly crowned before the season. The Bills are the best example of this team. Obviously, the Buccaneers are going to be in the mix when they're healthier. The Rams, when they kind of figure stuff out. But at the same time, the Bills just blew A, the defending suit. I mean, they beat the two best teams from last year in terms of how you can judge teams because the Titans were the number one overall seed last year. So if you want to go by regular season record, it was the Titans. And then they beat the defending Super Bowl champions, the Rams. So Super Bowl champion, regular season best record, demolished both of them. One of them at home, one of them on the road, both of them in prime time. Everybody was watching. And the Bills shine bright when the light shine the brightest. Uh, they're just an insane team. I mean, to upgrade that team on defense after pretty much being the best defense consensus consensus best defense last year is already ridiculous enough, but uh, they just continue to look impressive and more impressive every week. Might have to stop talking about them being impressive just because we're just ready for them to dominate everybody. Then you have the Jets who won 31 to 30 over the Browns. They became the first team in the last 2,229 games that was down 13 in the final two minutes and came back to win that game. Yes, it has not happened since 2001. If you are less than 20, if you are less than 20 years old, it has not happened in your whole life until of all teams, the Jets did it. Uh, that was why I was impressed. This is the type of game that normally they would lose, not the type of game that they would come back in, almost in the reverse, like the Falcons did with the Rams, except for this time, the Jets actually did complete the comeback, unlike the Falcons who weren't able to. Also, Joe Flacco, third in the league in passing, just as we all expected, up there with former Colts quarterback Carson Wentz, who's second in the league in passing yards right now. And it looks like the Colts could need him because they lost 24 to nothing against the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence was incredibly effective and efficient in this game. And their defense was amazing, obviously, shutting out Matt Ryan and the Colts, who are now 0-1-1. Uh, very interesting record. Then you have the Packers, who were in need of a bounce-back game, and they got one in big fashion over their division rivals. They demolished the Bears on Sunday Night Football. Just... I mean, 21 points in the second quarter, and that was all they need. They had their little mini Packers avalanche that Aaron Rodgers seems so good at orchestrating. 
And that was really it for the Bears. I mean, they had no chance in this game. And then Justin Fields made some comments that Bears fans probably didn't like after the game. You can go watch them for yourself. I don't have a, I don't have a say in it, honestly. Uh, but then you have the Eagles, who won 24-7. to Philadelphia really has a complete team. And uh, after the injury to Dak, I really do believe that this might be the best team in their division. Right now, they should be the favorites in the NFC East. And uh, that makes them 2-0 on the season. Uh, if you looked at the stats last night, we were against Justin Jefferson in fantasy, so we were actively rooting against him. Sorry, Justin Jefferson. He was on my team last year, one of my favorite picks, one of my favorite players overall. However, Darius Slay, there were five targets when Justin Jefferson was being uh, guarded by Darius Slay in coverage. On those five targets, Justin Jefferson had one reception, and Darius Slay had two interceptions, which is very, very rare to have a number one receiver, a receiver as good as Justin Jefferson, not only be shut down, but shut down to the degree that the corner catches more of the quarterback's passes than the receiver does. That just goes to show you the Eagles have all, all it takes. I mean, Jalen Hurts was amazing in this game. They have the running game. And with Darius Slay anchoring that defense, especially in the secondary, they can go up against really anybody. Okay, any quick takes from other games across NFL Week 2? Well, the Bengals O-line was supposed to be upgraded, but it's looking just about as bad as it was last year. And the team just fell to 0-2 overall after a loss to the Dakless Cowboys. That's a horrible look for them. Uh, and then the Patriots and Steelers look like they will most likely just be playoff filler teams at best. Didn't really talk about this game for that reason with very average offensive outputs and with the Steelers loss of TJ Watt for several weeks, who was so integral to their defense. Okay, well, that wraps up our look at NFL Week 2 action. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next, next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, September 27th, as we move our schedule to Tuesdays. Tuesday, September 27th will be the next, next podcast, where we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look at Major League Baseball, and look back at the highlights from Week 4 of college football action and Week 3 of NFL action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his Major League Baseball power rankings that will be updated tomorrow, his annual spreadsheet predicting every college football game for the 2022 regular season, our college football week four poll that was posted on Monday, again, a scheduled change moving that content to Mondays, and Patrick's picks for next weekend's games, which, as always, are posted on Thursday. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.